my guest today on the required podcast is Derry Holt. Derry is CEO at One Up Sales. Really, really interesting guy. Um, known him for a few years and uh, really yeah, impressed with actually how he's grown that business, how he comes across, how he supports the rest of the rec tech community and, and the agencies. But he's so much more than that. Um, talks about um, you know, his career choices, where he ended up. And also just, you know, a really interesting view on the current market as we talk about the current market. So I hope you enjoy. So um, today's required podcast, our guest is Derry Holt. Um, Derry's one of our newest partners and is the founder, owner, um, face um, of One Up Sales. And, um, you know, great to have him on the podcast. Um, I first met Derry in, I think, 2017, 2018. A long time ago. long time ago, (laughs) when when One Up was just... um, yeah, I think it was you and a salesman and... Um, yeah, just, just yeah. a baby back then. Yeah, it's like three of us and now the 17, our times have changed. Yeah, and just a pitch deck. But you've not always been um, into these sort of statistics and one-up sales. Um, what I think, you know, I, I sort of found about you was your, your, your background in game. Well, I'm not going to tell you your background. You can do it some <laughs> So um, tell us about yourself and how you ended up here. Yeah, no worries. So uh, I said, my name's Derry. Um, I used to be a games developer, interestingly. So wind all the way back to A-levels a good 12 years ago or so. I had three kind of decisions I had to choose between, which was going into being an astrophysicist. I love space, absolutely really into science and so on. Uh, Joined the RAF, had a thing for planes, still do, love them. Uh, Or be a games developer. And I chose the laziest of the three and became a games developer, interestingly. Uh, which took me down quite a cool path. I got to spend 15 months working on the Angry Birds series, which uh, to a lot of kids these days, you say Angry Birds, and they're just like, oh, is that that thing that's a movie? And it's like, well, before it was a movie, it was a very popular video game. The first one to hit, I think it was 1 billion downloads on the App Store, which is crazy when you think about those kind of numbers. Um, So yeah, had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, Came off the back of that, and me and my co-founder, James, who were at university together, were like, oh, we want to go and do our own thing, make our own game, so on and so forth. And that very quickly evolved into looking at what some of my dissertation had been around, which was around um, engagement through gamification. So how can we kind of bridge the gap between video games and the business world to try and make elements of it more engaging, right? And you see this a lot in things like training in HR in general, learning and development, things like that. But it hasn't really spread much further than that in the world of work, to be honest with you. I think probably about 10, 15 years ago, gamification itself was a bit of a buzzword that kind of died away. And I've always tried to sort of avoid the word because, again, I'm very aware it's a buzzword. It's seen as a nice to have. It's, you know, are oh, you making people play games at work? And it's like, no, it's nothing like that. Um, but those are sort of the connotations that are associated with the word. So our platform's kind of evolved into not just being something around games and gamification now, but it's more about actually using data to motivate people to make them more efficient, focused around that sort of area. Um, and I've kept those links in the games industry, bizarrely. If you listen to this and thinking, wow, this mic sounds nice. Uh, I'm actually a video games commentator on the side as well. So probably spend about half the year abroad, mostly in France. But this year I'm off to the US, uh, into Europe for an event as well, like up to Asia, looking at Japan, I think, for an event at some point. Um, travel around the world commentating and on people who are much better at video games than I am. So I'm not really making them anymore. I'm definitely not playing them. I'm not doing any of that. But I am talking about people who are playing them and making them. So it's a little bit of a side tangent to kind of be looking on the other side of the glass and looking and seeing what's going on. Um, what's really interesting for me was that um, I, I know nothing about games, um, but I've met some people around that, that do. Um, I do have one question for you on that front, Andy. Do you know Fortnite? Yeah, um, yeah my son spent most of his um, 
early teens on it. So that's exactly it. I, I have a thing I do whenever I do a talk at an event is I walk in and say, right, who here's got kids? And everyone's like, yep, hands up. I'm like, great. How many of those are under the age of 18? Hands go up. And I go, how many of them play video games? Hands also go up. And then I say, how many of you recognize this logo? Fortnite's logo comes up on the screen and everyone just goes, oh, and I'm like, yeah, that groan tells me that your kids have drained your wallet for a good few hundred quid, if not more, on that game. And it's just a wonderful introduction because everyone then's like, oh, yeah, this guy gets it. Uh, my kids have drained my wallet. Goddamn video games, right? It's just a really funny little sort of segue. People then come and have a chat about it afterwards and say, oh, you know, Fortnite, yeah, it's been a nightmare. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a couple of people I know. I mean, Ke Kelly Robinson, you know, has got an interest in, in the gaming world. And um, also a guy called Chris Heaton, who's building something called Skirmish. I don't know, mm. if you know him, which is to affect... Yes, I do. Yeah, it's, it, I'll talk to you about it afterwards, actually. Um, but yeah, again, really interesting way of... Um, but what was interesting for me was that it's such a short career in gaming. Basically, um, you know, it's even shorter than footballers. You know, basically mm. the equivalent of your knees have gone, but you've got so your reaction times and then you're out. So you've That's very, it. sort of early 20s, you're done. It's a hard one, right? Because like 22 is apparently where your reaction times peak. Like 22 onwards, your life's going downhill, basically. You slower everything. It's not so hot. There are a couple of players in the game that I work in that are about 28, 29 years old. I think even one's pushing like 30 years old now, although he's far from being the best. The problem is that you find is sure the reaction times is one side of it, but you've also got to consider, you know, looking at our history of the fastest 100 meter sprint that you've seen, who's got the world record. There's a reason we keep on beating it. And that's because as younger generations come through, they're better equipped. There's more knowledge. They're more surrounded and familiar with that sort of environment, especially in video games. And you get some kids that are like 15, 16 years old that just put, like those who are 21, 22 to shame, it's scary, the kind of development that you see. So, you know, even at the age of 23, 24, if you're not up there in the top 50% of, you know, competitors, you're going to be out of a job in no time at all. Do you think you can apply the same to recruitment? That you know, <laughs> Literally, um, you know, you, you can come in, you can smash it for the first two years and then just... Oh, just give me some nice accounts, you know. And I yeah, right, right. Do that. You've got so much. You've only got that that amount of inertia that you can actually. You get comfortable in a way, right? It's um, it's very much the same in esports. In that, you know, you make it onto a team. You're not grinding super hard to become a pro anymore. For example, probably the same as you might do in football. Like I guarantee, there's a lot of Premier League players that aren't out there playing as much now as they were back when they were really trying to get through an academy team. For example. Because yeah. once you're there, it's like, I've done the hard work. I've just earned to earn it a bit. I can kind of like relax a little bit more now. I'm not going to say all recruiters are exactly the same, but there are a good number. And I know you're thinking of some as well that do kind of get that book built up and go, you know what? There's enough business for me there. I'll just crack on with this. And the new business sort of slows down, right? Yeah, 100%. So I do have one question for you. But I've got lots of questions. I was going to say you've my, got multiple. My, my particular <laughs> question is, why go after the recruitment vertical? There's sales businesses, all other, and I think you do other, but... You know, I know you from the recruitment vertical. Why, why, why start or stay there? You know what? I'm going to give an answer that everyone gives when they get asked how they got into recruitment. And that is, we fell into it. Everyone says that as their answer. I don't think anyone, a very few, sets out with the intent of saying, right, I'm going to be a recruiter one day or I'm going to be in recruitment software, right? Normally it's for recruitment software. You've gone in through as a recruiter. You then thought, okay, I can see a pain here that I want to solve. I'll then go and build software for it. Easy peasy. For us, we kind of came directly from that video game world into building software for recruitment companies. And truthfully, it was because we got a bite very, very early on. And um, we were doing a kind of uh, presentation dinner where you can win like 20 grand if you were the overall winner that our accountants put on every single year. Uh, and in the audience, when they heard our pitch, was a recruiter. And I didn't realize until the next day. 
So I remember messaging them on Twitter of all places these days, it'd be LinkedIn messaging them on Twitter and being like, um, Hey, can I speak to one of your directors? And the guy was like, it was a social media intern that had been with them for a few weeks. He's like, Oh, he actually sits right behind me. Let me just give him a nudge. Cool. And so he gave this guy a nudge and we ended up talking. I kind of learned a lot about recruitment through him, for example, how they were working, what challenges they were facing. And that's when it started then becoming right now. Let's start looking at what integrations we can build and find more customers like this. And just over time, it's become one of those, you know, the more of them you find, the more they introduce you to others like them. If they like your product and what it's doing, the more familiar you get with the market. So although we have this kind of grand ambition of eventually being a platform for sales teams all over the world, recruitment has been, especially in the UK, our sort of home base where it's all kicked off and where truthfully, we're very happy right now. I think the the sort of the gamification or the data, I mean, I, I came from a, a company that absolutely relied on it and were fastidious about it and mm. uh, you know, made a lot of very informed decisions and um, around it. So for those who don't use systems like this, you know, what in, in reality, what, what what's the difference? What what you know, what difference would a software, you know, um, other other systems are available, just putting it out there, but you know, <laughs> but but understanding your data and um, you know and analyzing it, what, what what are the big gains you see? I think it's very easy for any kind of provider to come onto a call like this to go, yeah, there's a reason why our software is absolutely essential, right? And I think Fundamentally, you know, Measure What Matters is the name of a very famous book, uh, looking at OKRs and how you can kind of move forward as a company. And the title of that book really summarizes everything up. You can only really affect what you can measure and what you can see, in my opinion. So it doesn't strictly require a system like ours. I'll be very blunt in saying, you know, some CRMs are very good at giving you reporting. They can give you access to that data. Where we found difficulty and where we think we've kind of then stepped in and helps with a number of them is that for someone to have to go onto the CRM and dig through 10 different filters and play around on 20 different reports to find the one that fits what they need, it's just faff. People just want plain, simple access to data that lets them do their job, whether that is coaching consultants, whether it's better managing them and identifying who's underperforming, whether it's giving recognition to the ones that are doing very, very well, or simply saying, oh, there's an opportunity here for us to be able to drive more performance in the right area. Let's run an incentive behind that, which is a whole new ballpark and kettle official together. But just all the simple answers like this, you know, it's not like the data isn't there for you to access in existing systems. It's just not very easy to get at. And unless you're like in the admin team who's willing to spend two, three hours dissecting through reports to get the answers that the managers want, and by the time they've got that data, it's already outdated, you're just kind of stuck always playing catch-up in a way. And when we're bringing on more and more tech to make sales execution easier for the salesperson, right? Think about tools that help consultants find candidates faster or uncover more jobs or surface relevant companies who are doing things that mean they're more likely to be hiring right now. That's all well and good, but things like management processes and coaching and motivation, all that stuff behind the scenes, that's all still behind a good few years. I think it's kind of falling behind the execution point. And that gap in the middle is kind of what's then holding the reins up on letting companies really fly. I think if you get that back end correct around data and motivation management, so on, you'll find those tools in the front end are infinitely more effective as well. Yeah, I mean, typically what you find is you 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 either have a, a spiral of happiness or a spiral of doom. So if your data's bad, and you don't trust the reports, then yeah. no one no one bothers to correct the data. Or if exactly. you do, absolutely, in reports say actually it's either there and it's correct or it's not, and this is our one version of the truth. That becomes mm. self fulfilling in terms of the data because everyone has to keep the data correct because that's what they're being measured on. And I mean, and Andy, you've seen this, right? You've been into a number of businesses, I bet, and you can see all around the office, managers have got their own spreadsheets where they're tracking their own yeah. numbers manually, right? Because they yeah. don't trust the CRM. Chances are they 
haven't really found a way to push their consultants to actively put stuff in their CRM, right? And CRM adoption is a massive problem. You spend in, you know, 80 quid plus a user ahead, maybe up to about 150, if not a bit more on this system. And consultants are like, oh, I'll just put it all in on a Friday afternoon. Like, no, <laughs> that's not the point of it. That's not how this is meant to work, but there's no real drive to do it. So without that data in there, you can't effectively manage, which means you're there kind of doing all that you can to keep the team moving, but not really affecting change. And again, that's where teams really get held back and slowed down. I think I think what was transformative to me at S3 in a couple of different roles, both the commercial director and, and when myself and Lawrence worked on UK contracts was um, we put in a, um, a system called business objects and, you know, having the data warehouse that, you know, basically was able to look at our people and then look at their sales and all of the other things that impact it. So you could actually just bring things together. And we made decisions that flew in the face of our gut feel based on data. And exactly. you know, it, 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 turned, it turned out right. And, and actually the power that it gave us, because you know, you typically go into a board meeting and everyone would, no, that's not right. That's not right. Bang. You know, you can have your opinions, you can't have your facts. Exactly. And, 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 and that was, you know, two or three areas which well, I won't bore people with today, but it was just absolutely transformative in how we were able to uh, grow, how we were able to invest, how we were able to manage. Um, and it just took all that emotion out the room. Exactly. Yeah. There's kind of the two sides to it, right? You're talking about sort of the visualizing the data, actually being able to see it and understand it, right? That's one side of it. And then where people often think of one up or our customers do, or those that know obviously the market think it's all gamification tool. That's then actually using that data to take action. And a lot of companies are pretty good at that, even without using um, tools like ours or whatever, as long as they've got access to the data, they're in a good spot. And truthfully, this is why we stay in recruitment as well, is we know that generally a lot of CRMs aren't very good at unearthing that data in the first place. So we add value there. The area where we can help in those other industries and also, of course, in recruitment is things around like the motivational side of things. So if you're trying to run a competition to motivate people, for example, are you updating a spreadsheet or a whiteboard once every two or three days and then issuing it around a team in an email? Is that really the modern way of doing things these days? Or about coaching people? You know, what, what are you using to do coaching with? Is they about actually using that data to do things in the team to move it forwards? That's the second side of things that I think some companies end up falling behind on is, yes, we've got data absolutely spot on, brilliant. Now, how can we use it better to make our managers more effective? That's the second side of it. Well, I guess the other thing that's changed as well is, you know, in 2020, there was a global pandemic. And, uh -huh. and actually that whole thing of everyone around the whiteboard, that roundup in the morning, the sales board, you know, the jobs board, I guess that, that just changed. Massively, right? Yeah. We, um, we had some really interesting dynamics with some customers that, that were really relying on TVs, displays in their offices to be, you know, the big driver for them, you know, celebrating when someone closes a deal, a leaderboard of who'd sent the most CVs that week, things like that. To then suddenly go to being at home was really jarring for a lot of them because you missed on that sort of how do you keep the energy up? How do you keep teams excited? And some were still running things like competitions and incentives, but I think many kind of had the ill taste in their mouth of, you know, should we really be trying to run an incentive at a time where the whole world's in lockdown, where mental health's in the gutter, for example. So many just went into, right, we just want the reports inside of things. We just want to understand what people are doing at home because that way we can have a conversation about it. But people went very light on things like targets during the pandemic just to kind of pause because they realized basically the vast majority of the market is shut down. There isn't a lot of business to do. So let's just keep an eye on what we can do and see if we're at least giving it a go, right? Measure what you can control, yeah? Exactly. So 
as a startup, okay, and and you know, we 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 talked when you know we were in that sort of startup world. Um, your, yours worked, mine didn't. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> congratulations. Thank you. Um, what advice given you know to someone entering rec tech now, or, or indeed starting their own recruitment business as that sort of startup founder? What advice would you give them right now, knowing what you know now? Ooh, lots and lots of advice. I have to write a book on it at this point with how much I've learned over the last seven odd years or so. I think, honestly, everyone always says, oh, you know, build the right team, build the best team. And I think where people tend to stop short of that is talking about, you know, what do you look for to build a good team and to make sure you've got the right team? A lot of it for me is around the kind of cultural alignment, right? We're at 17 people now, and there's basically no one in this team that I would look at and say they don't belong. And I know they'd all kind of go to war for us to make sure that we are growing that things are going right. You know, we constantly get praise and how good our support is because everyone's really aligned towards the same objectives together. So it's all good saying build that right team, but you've got to find people who are really aligned with what it is that you're trying to do, can kind of uphold the values that you've put in place, which themselves are very important things to get aligned. Um, and that obviously is once you actually start hiring people, right? In the, in the early days, just find a problem and really hit it hard. Find that kind of screaming solution that you know is really going to be valuable to people. Yeah. Um, I'd be lying if I said we did it right, by the way. We didn't. We came up with a solution and then found a problem to fit. It's completely the wrong way to build a business. It took yeah. us two years longer to get started than we should have. Um, but in the end, we kind of really reframed it and understood the problem and then sort of morphed the product to fit in a way. So uh, definitely don't start doing a product or offering a service without first validating people do actually need it. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I hear you. Mm. So one of the things actually you did through the, um, through the pandemic, and I, I don't know if you've done it recently, was I think you were quite out there in sort of job flows and mm. showing and interviews and and just having that view in the market and i think there's loads of people in recruitment saying don't publish it don't publish it you know we, we yeah. want, to keep people, want to keep people motivated stop talking the market down and yeah go back yeah. to that point of you know literally like comical alley with like you know you know we're gonna you know fight the americans back they're not coming as tanks rolling behind the shoulder so mm -hmm. i actually found that really useful as well because in the same way that actually just reflected what I think a lot of people knew actually when it started to come back actually there was good cheer there was there was good news so I guess you know people like yourself are really well placed to answer the big question everyone wants to know is what's happening in the market right now absolutely yeah back during COVID in 2020 when it all sort of kicked off we just looked at I think it was 105 of our customers and picked out a few key metrics around jobs CVs interviews placements and just said look Here's what the market's actually doing. And it was really interesting how a couple of our really early clients were then getting in my DMs each like month at the towards the back end of it, like, oh, when's your report coming out? I'm literally sending these onto my board now. And I was like, oh, I'm glad that we're helping and making a difference in a way, right? Um, I haven't done it lately, to be fair. It's one thing I do want to start doing. And maybe when I get it done, I'll have to send it around to you to issue to the group. Um, well, why, everyone's... Why, you, know, you know how we are nationwide prices survey. Why don't we have the required one up? The required one of a state of the market the survey, yeah. The that, that's it, that's it. Um, because you yeah, know, at the minute is talking daughter to put in like recruitment consultant salaries, and yeah, you know, yeah, it could be the definitive guide. Oh, I've seen some really interesting talking about that. Actually, someone put a post up on LinkedIn yesterday, and they were talking about you know, as a fair warning to candidates, think about when the market corrects and your salary is 50 to 100 percent higher than it should be, you'll be one of the first ones to go if the market slows down. So, be really careful about what that can mean, right. Yeah, and, and what's even mm. worse is, you know, I mean, we're, we're seeing a, you know, a number of my advisories, um, you're seeing people go for double, you know, yeah. people are leaving, they're going for double. Crazy. And that's 
fine for now. But what's going to happen when the market slows down, right? What's going to happen when the market slows down? The other thing is we well know is people get very used to earning what they earn. So yeah. you know, when, when the market does go and those salaries aren't available, um, I think it's very different. I think I saw a post that, you know what, I, I, I don't want to be the guy that talks it down. I don't want to be the pessimist, but I've been speaking to my advisories for the last two to three months saying, okay, we're on the greatest run probably that I can remember. And always following that, it'll drop off yeah. and look for data. And the trouble is the data will be there and potentially you'll start, you know, making excuses around the data, but just have those triggers. And really good example. I mean, for the last few months, you've been seeing on LinkedIn, every recruitment owner's had a record month. All the teams yeah, there. Like, absolutely. Blah, 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 blah. Not seeing many of those posts, less in April, hardly any in May. Um, congratulations to those, you know, doing that did manage it. Um, what I've heard is a lot of people saying, yeah, it was really slow because of Easter. And, you know, my, my, my comment back has been pretty much, so you didn't have Easter last year. So, you know, I think, I think for me that people probably know it, but people aren't choosing to hear it. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's really interesting seeing the difference in dynamic between a few of our clients as well, where some are, you know, fairly fair play, if that's their business call, that's entirely up to them. Those that were around in 2008, 2009 are the ones who are saying, look, these people that are hiring three to four times the number of consultants they've currently got that are really trying to go massive in terms of expansion, they're the ones that are going to feel it in the tail next year when everything sort of starts to slow down again. Yeah. A lot of the clients I'm speaking to who were around again in 2008, 2009 are the ones saying, look, we've been here, we've seen this before. Make a while the sun shines, of course. You know, Feel free to hire a few extra and try and bring in the business whilst it's there, yeah. but just be ready that next year there's a very good chance there'll be a slowdown. And the thing is as well, like I don't know truthfully whether or not there will be. Everyone expects there will be. Time will tell how it goes. I don't think many expected a big uh, bounce back in Q3 of 2020, but we signed more clients in that quarter with just me at the helm, no salespeople in the business than we had done for like the last two years before that. It was a really strange bounce back, but really quite exciting too. So one thing yeah. I was mindful of is how that's going to twist and turn next year. The precursor to that in my mind is what I'm hearing a lot in the VC community. So venture capitalists where, you know, we will go to raise money. Um, we're trying to raise a series A this summer, really kind of take things to the next level. What we've heard over the last two or three months is that actually a lot of European VCs have turned around and said, right, we are basically dropping valuations way down. We're not doing as many investments as we were before, which now means a lot of tech companies are starting to kind of hold on to their cash, you know, lock down what they've got now in terms of resource and not go really aggressive on growth, which is only one piece of the puzzle, right? But if this is happening in every sector and in a vast number of sectors, that naturally then passes on to recruitment. Like we always know recruitment is one of the first to feel the hits of the recession and one of the last to recover as well. It's going to be a very similar story here, I think, where if these tech companies are starting to slow down hiring, those that right now are laughing at how many developers they're putting out there for silly salaries, they're the ones that are going to start feeling it first and foremost. And that's really what happened with COVID. Everything then just kind of grinds to a halt across the whole uh, industry. I'm not at all trying to be a peddler of doom and say it's definitely going to happen. This is just what I'm seeing on my side in terms of what VCs are talking about and what founders are kind of experiencing themselves. It's not to say it's happening across every sector. I know the US is still very alive and well, but again, don't expect that it's going to be all sunshines and rainbows as it has been for the last few months or so, uh, well into next year as well. I think there was a really insightful post. I was out with a customer on Friday and we were talking about typically, you know, the, the, the guys that have probably made this market for recruiters super super hot are the you know the guys at the top of the food chain your your metas your googles yeah you know, those those type of companies um 
what's really interesting is you've started to see those companies, Amazon's pulling or freezing or, you know, just, you know, the, you know, cooling down. And if that top of the, if you like, top of the food chain cools down, everything else in the market does, does the same. So I actually think, you know, all the signs are there. I was chatting to, I don't know if you know Mike Ames. Mike's an industry veteran. Um, he's done, you know, he's seen this all before. And we were talking, you know, two or three months ago. And actually, the data is already there. If you look at um, the macroeconomic data, I mean, inflation at a 30-year record. Yeah. Cost of living. Um, you know, interest rates going up. Um, well, therefore, you know, the cost of investment for firms. Now, it might be slightly different in the sense that, firms are funded a bit differently I think in a lot of ways than they were 10-15 years ago so you know a lot of these you know series A to D have runway so they have runway for the time so they actually have money to spend but I still think you're right they'll be looking to preserve it a lot longer or maybe yeah. maybe the, the guys that have said look you know whereas whereas the absolute push has been you've got to spend it because we've got to get through to the next round maybe the instruction coming out is do you want to maybe just rejig this a bit? You know, we take it a bit slower because, yeah. you know, BCD might take a little bit longer than we, we thought. So I think it is really, really going to play out. But I guess go back to our point. So we can't change macroeconomic, we can't change, you know, Facebook's numbers. So no. what can we do? Great question. I'm sure everyone's hinging on that question as well, expecting a magical answer to come from our lips. <laughs> I think the best thing we can do is what a lot of companies looked at doing during COVID, right, is when we start producing it, follow the data. Um, you know, we'll, we'll look at some reports. We'll look at what's been going on so far throughout the year, monitor it month to month as well. I think it's worth kind of turning that little, that little segment back on and seeing what the numbers are starting to look like. And just being prepared for worst case, right? It's one thing that we're doing a lot in our modeling for our business. Like we have a model that goes out five years in terms of what we expect to spend and what it will do. We are starting to look at modeling of, you know, what happens if our sales are down 50% on what we expect they're going to be? What yeah. happens if they're 25% greater than we think they will be? What if we lose a key member of staff? And that financial modeling exercise, you know, it's kind of like teaching people to suck eggs here in a way, but just looking again at what the worst case is versus the best case and trying to have contingencies for both is the best way to do it. We'll have tripwise in our plan that will say, okay, if we get to this point here and things aren't at this level that we need them to be, here are the changes that we can make or here are the things that we'll do. My plan right now is to kind of get that Series A and have that cash, have the plan to grow and definitely make a few hires initially. You know, the cash is there to be spent at the end of the day, but also be holding on to some of it in the back pocket just in case things do start to go south and then kind of unlocking the floodgates as things start to improve or kind of get back to normal. But all things kind of as they're going, 2023 could be a difficult year overall. Yeah, I, I think I think the end of 22 could be difficult. And, you know, I think I think in terms of growth, you've got to have three things. Um you know, if you're a recruitment business, you've got to have availability of talent, you've got to have the opportunity, and you've got to have the, the cash to do it. Yeah. I think, interestingly, um, I think the recruiters that haven't overpaid will actually start to get access to good talent again, and mm. talent for people who perhaps, you know, gone, the grass hasn't been greener, they're the first to go and, and, and might, might get back in. But I completely agree, follow the data, trust the data. Um, and, Prepare for the worst, hope for the best. You know that's pretty much pretty much business. So that's it. Yeah, I think I think that's that's probably absolutely bang on. I think the rec tech world's really interesting as well. Um, mm. You've obviously seen a fair few acquisitions, haven't um, we? Just God, it doesn't stop. <laughs> yeah, and I was gonna I was gonna say. I mean, you must be building. You know, what, what's your plan long term? 
My dream, true fear, that might be open about this, I would love to get acquired by someone like HubSpot, a mid-market CRM provider. Um, only on the basis of our whole philosophy is if they're building tools to help their customers serve their customers, we want to build tools to help their customers serve their sales teams, whether it's through, again, management, motivation, efficiency, whatever. So my long-term plan is a good number of years out. Yeah, it's definitely not a short-term one, but yeah. my general philosophy is you build a business with the plan of it lasting forever. And if someone comes along at a certain point in time and goes, hey, we really like where you're at, actually want to make you an offer to acquire, you then evaluate that as and when it comes along, right? It's definitely not a, I'm building this and plan to flip it in three years and away we go. Um, you know, I really enjoyed the job. I enjoyed the team that we work with. I'm far from feeling burnt out by it at the minute, despite being in it for seven years. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm still here for the long haul. One of the frustrating things for founders that I always find when I'm speaking to them is that that constant paradox of having to raise capital. Then when you raise capital, keep the investors happy versus actually growing and scaling the business. Yeah. How are you finding that balance? Truthfully, our investors have been great. Uh, Mercia are the guys that have invested in us twice now. They've done both of our rounds. They are pretty hands-off. Their only requirement has been like when we had the first round, okay, I want you to bring a chairman in. Uh, and in the last round, it was a, at some stage, we'd like you to hire in a NED to sit on the board who's got B2B software experience, which we still haven't fulfilled yet. And it's been over 12 months since we raised our round, but they're happy with how things are going. You know, yeah. we've more than doubled revenue in the last year. Our team size has almost tripled. Things going well. So it's kind of like a, why rock the boat if things are going fine? It's kind of their whole philosophy. And I appreciate that. You know, we can crack on and execute and do things that we need to do there if we need them. No real complaints. That could all change comes from with the Series A investor, but uh, hopefully we choose a good one. <laughs> it's interesting, actually. I mean, I think one of the things is, is is about getting that right investor. It's not just about getting the cash. It's about getting someone who can add value to your business and someone mm. who, who've been there and they've, they've done it done it before. I mean, exactly. you've seen companies take the big valuation and it's really inhibited their growth. It can't. You have to be very careful. Like Valuations are always a... A risky topic. So obviously, if you raise at too high a valuation, then your next round isn't as a result of you growing at the pace you thought you would. It can be a down round, which is like death territory for a startup. If you're dropping your valuation or whatever, your existing investors are not going to be happy at all, <laughs> as you can imagine. Yeah, by virtue though, not every startup can win. So they can't. I mean, they reckon after each round of funding, what 75% of companies fail. So it's a you know, you've got a one in four chance after you raise a round of funding, no matter which one it is, to be one of the ones that's still there come the next round. So it's always a massive risk. One of the things that we're really excited about, actually, is that we, we've um, I've got a couple of customers that have um, implemented your um, your solution and been very happy with it. I know Charlotte has as well. So, you know, we're really excited about just the, in, in, you know, the amount of people I think that could consume what it is you do. So you've got integrations with... Um, <laughs> List of all, we've probably got an integration with them. <laughs> um, Mercury, Vincere, yeah. Bullhorn. Yeah. All the Access CRMs, yeah, you name it. They're all through there, as well as things like CloudCall, AirCall, 3CX, you name it. There's also integrations with things like Timesheet Portal and InTime, actually, as well. I know a lot of recruiters are using them. Okay. So basically, if you, if you can think it, chances are... You can, there's you can. a pretty decent chance we do. And there's even a couple more that we're looking at as well. Like um, I think Loxo is one that we're currently building an integration with. Uh, we're looking at a CRM called Tracker as well, because their CEO has been like really keen on looking at how they can get gamification as part of their products. And naturally we came along at the right time. Um, so there are more integrations on the way, as always, you know, at the end of the day, you can do what a lot of products do, which is find one CRM lockdown and really go deep on it. 
And this is something someone from HostBot that's a really popular CRM for those that haven't heard of it. It's definitely starting to rival Salesforce. And um, one of the guys I spoke to there was like, the best thing you can do is do something better than the CRM that you integrate with. Choose one, integrate with it, uh, do something better than they do and sell to them in a few years time. Completely agree, very viable path, but you kind of restrict yourself in a lot of ways. If you're trying to have this widespread focus on hitting a lot of sales or recruitment teams, you've got to build one the more, more than one integration at the end of the day, right? Um, cool. Look, um, you've been great to have on board. Um, we're really glad that you've, um, you, you're now, and you know, we, we've obviously got hopefully some great opportunities. And I think it's about getting your name out there with the partners. Um, if people are interested in one up, how can they find out about you? They can tap me up on LinkedIn. More than happy to chat at any time and point in the right way. Otherwise, you can just go to our website, which is oneupsales.co.uk. Have a read through. You like what you see? Reach out and book a demo. One of our sales guys will be in touch instead. It's entirely up to you. Fantastic. And, I, and I've got to ask, do you use your own system to manage your own sales team? I do quite a lot. Yeah, I'm still trying to get our sales team on it as much because we aren't really our own ICP. We aren't yet the right size where it's of value. We tend to say when you're hitting 10 plus heads is where you start to feel the, the pains of scale and growth. Yeah, uh, we aren't yet. We aren't there yet, but we will be. And when we are there, absolutely everyone is going to be using it. But for now, at least I use it for my reporting. Yeah, you'll be trusting the data. Well, it's good to hear that the um, the, the required one up sales state of the nation report is going to be is, is, a, <laughs> is, is now a thing. It's on the way. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, and look, I, I think it's actually really good because, you know, we'll be able to track, you know, and, and take a lot of the, the myth out of it. And the, the thing that every every founder who's sort of running themselves, you know, when, when you work at a company, you know what the other teams are doing, you know what the other people are doing. If you're a founder, you've got that sort of real fear of the unknown. How am I doing? You know, and and you know, if we can if we can help our members do that, that'd be fantastic. So absolutely, much, let's do it. Much much appreciated. Right, um, I will let you get off to the gaming world and do what you <laughs> do what you've got to do. Um, real pleasure as always, and um, we'll definitely catch up soon. Likewise, mate. Thank you. Cheers, Derry.